Thank you, Praise Team, for that wonderful reminder that there is honey in the rock. I've been feeling rather poetic lately, and so I'm going to begin this morning with a poem. I hope you guys don't mind. <clears throat> the name of this poem is called Fairweather Friend. Your friendship means the world to me and will remain unalterably as solid as any friendship could possibly be. Unless, of course, unwittingly or deliberately you get yourself into any difficulty that's likely to prove uncomfortable for me, in which case I reserve the right to unilaterally change my mind. Then either flow with the tide of those who condemn and despise you, or simply sit uneasily on the fence of time, waiting for an outcome before deciding which way I should jump, just as any self-respecting fair-weather friend would do. I am a fair-weather friend. This tongue-in-cheek poem exposes the weakness and the tepid mindset of the person who is committed to only low-risk and high-reward friendships. The person who is a staunch friend and supporter only as long as the partnership doesn't cause them any inconvenience. And all of us, unfortunately, have had the displeasure of having a friend like this. You know the one I'm talking about. The one who shows up to every birthday party but never comes to visit you in the hospital. Fair weather friend. The friend who can talk to you for hours on end but hurries you off the phone if you start talking about your personal problems. A fair weathered friend. The friend who has all the time in the world for us until we need a ride to work early in the morning and he refuses to answer his phone. Friends of convenience who withdraw their support at the first sign of any trouble. It's easy to be a friend in times of serenity, isn't it? It's easy to be God's friend when life seems fair and our outlook is favorable. Easy to lift my hands to heaven when there is no sickness on the horizon. Easy to pray when I have no real needs. It's easy to sing songs of praise when my life is in harmony, my bills are paid, and my marriage is growing by leaps and bounds. It's easy to be God's friend in the good days. It is effortless to celebrate the goodness of God when my life situation reflects the glory and the brilliance that God has conferred upon my life by faith. When God calls me an overcomer and I feel like an overcomer. When God calls me one of his own and my circumstances acquiesce to his decree. When all of my proverbial ducks are in a row and nothing in my life is out of place. It is easy to be a friend of God in good days. During those seasons, Paul says in verse 2 of Romans chapter 5, during those seasons we celebrate. 
During those seasons, we are basking in the wonder of God's love and his grace, dancing down the streets as if they were paved with gold. We celebrate, and we should celebrate, the prospect of the promises of God coming to fruition in our lives. But not only this, Paul says, not only do we celebrate the fact that we will be glorified with God, not only do we take courage when no threats are on the horizons of our lives, not only do we stand tall and proclaim the goodness of God when his goodness is overtaking us, not only this, but we also celebrate in tribulations. To say it most plainly, we, the children of God, we rejoice when we're in trouble. We, the children of God, we boast in God even when we're suffering. We, the children of God, we are just as happy in the trenches as we are when we're on top of the world, in war or at peace, in sickness or in good health, in days of joy or in nights of sorrow, we celebrate. And we celebrate not in anticipation that God is going to deliver us. No, that's not what we're celebrating. We celebrate not because we're sure that God is going to make a way for us, we do not celebrate despite our troubles. We celebrate because we are in trouble. We perceive trouble not as an ominous herald, but rather as a sure sign of spiritual growth that is to come. For us who follow Jesus Christ, trouble is not an arbitrary happenstance in our lives, but trouble is a God-constructed and a God-ordained spiritual regimen prescribed to advance us even closer to the character of Jesus Christ. We celebrate even in trouble. Paul the Apostle says here that the children of God celebrate the onslaughts of pain and suffering and despair because we know something. We take pride in our troubled marriages. We are honored when our children seem to take the wrong path. We become ecstatic when the car breaks down, the roof starts leaking, the economy starts collapsing, and the paycheck doesn't outlast the bills. We are excited for these challenges, all because we know something. We know, Paul says, that tribulation brings about Perseverance. We know that tribulation, I'm happy to see you. We know that tribulation brings about perseverance. We celebrate because we know that our problems will serve to make us stronger. That every setback, every close call, and every near miss will only add to the catalog of our life experiences and yield to us yet another data point that solidifies the notion that we have the capacity to outlast, to outlive, and to overcome whatever fate has in store for us. Our tribulation brings about perseverance. Listen, if you're older than 25 years old today, and if you've been paying attention to your own metamorphosis, you're already aware of this truth. 
Because the fact of the matter is, this truth is not unique to the Christian life. This is a universal truth that applies to every human soul, every bird in the air, and even the seed that is pressed and dies in the soil of the earth. That whatever hurt or pain that doesn't kill me will only make me stronger if I let it. Even the unbeliever who has concluded the same thing if he's paid attention to his life, even the unbeliever understands. This is a wisdom that comes primarily with age. That the contradictions of life that so often defy my ambition and tries my will to survive, these self-same idiosyncrasies, these problems and these struggles are God's means by which I come of age. God's means by which I mature into the master of my environment. If humanity, as the custodians of God's creation, if we are to fulfill God's command to rule over the earth and all of its moving parts, if humanity, as the rulers over God's creation, are to subdue the earth and bring forth fruit for generations to come, it is our duty to master the art of perseverance, which is patience. Because we know by experience that the seed will never grow fast enough. The marriage will not stabilize neatly enough. The children will not learn quickly enough. The promotion will not come timely enough. Retirement cannot come soon enough. Life. Life, brothers and sisters, is slow. And trouble comes into my life and then it lingers longer than I ever thought it would. And my extended misery is ordained by God to train me to learn to wait because life is slow. And as we learn how to persevere, as we learn how to wait and not give up, as we figure out how to sit quietly and allow the pain of life to linger without becoming uncomfortable, without complaint, without regret, and furthermore, as we become efficient at employing patience in all aspects of our lives, Paul says that our character becomes proven. Proven first to ourselves. Encouraging us to believe that we have what it takes to thrive and to survive through the turbulent seasons of life. And we cannot afford to understate this fact. That every human needs to have a certain amount of confidence in herself that she is equipped with all that is necessary to survive and to thrive even in the worst of times. We all need that confidence. I know, I know what you're thinking. Self-confidence is not something that's taught in the Christian faith. Self-confidence is contrary to the will of God. But I have to tell you this morning, that's just religion talking. Religion that teaches us that we sin if we place any confidence in our own human capacities. But that's just a facade. And not only is such a facade of humility untenable 
it is also a form of blasphemy. To entertain the thought that God has placed me in this world but provided me no internal resource to be able to master my environment is to accuse God of abandonment. No. God does indeed, God has indeed equipped each one of us with the fortitude we need in order to be fruitful and multiply. God's primary means of maturing us to the point of maturity, bringing us to the point of maturity is through the crucible of suffering. And by living through each heartbreaking, soul-shaking episode of my existence, I become more and more confident that God has in fact equipped me with a resilience that is unmatched by any creature that has ever walked the earth. God has equipped mankind with resiliency, the ability to persevere. Through suffering, God has strengthened our wills. Through suffering, God has galvanized our ability to commit to every good endeavor and to do so with a relentless hope that we can make it through even the darkest night. Suffering then, suffering then is a universal gift that teaches us patience. And our regular practice in patience proves that we have character. It proves it to us and our character is proven to all those who know us. And most importantly, our character is proven to God, yes. God watches you as you go through hard times. God watches you to evaluate whether you're growing and developing because of your afflictions or whether you're opting out of the competition, hiding your head in the sand and refusing to move forward until the trouble passes. God is watching you go through your affliction. It is not enough for us to simply live through the struggles that we're facing. Truth is that all you have to do to live through your trouble is to eat and drink and breathe. That's all you have to do to live through any trouble. But that's not enough. What God desires for you when you're going through difficult times is that you would continue to hold to all that you have committed to. That you will hold to all of your commitments. Commitments to family. Commitments to your church. Commitments to your marriage. And especially the vows you've made to God, that you will be consistent in your praise of his name even in the darkest hour, that your voice will not become muted, that your knees will not become weakened as you face the storm. Every child of God who loves God desires to do the work and the will of God. And while God does honor your desire to serve him, God does not commit his most intricate and important work to unproven believers. It would be a waste. It would be a waste for God to send untrained, inconsistent, unsettled soldiers onto the battlefield. 
In the kingdom of God, there are spiritual babes. In the kingdom of God, there are mature believers. In the kingdom of God, there are new recruits. In the kingdom of God, there are seasoned soldiers. And when God has an assignment that is certain to ruffle the enemy's feathers and cause backlash and temporary discomfort, he does not send babes. God will not send a new recruit. God chooses to send only those whose character has been proven. Those who have demonstrated over predetermined periods of time that their morale cannot be defeated by the fluctuations or fortunes of this world or by the persistency of life's problems. Those with proven character and when your character has been tested and proven, when you have lived, thrived, and endured the myriads of tests and trials scheduled for you by God himself, then you acquire an enduring sense of hope, an otherworldly kind of optimism that cannot be easily shaken, proven character. Proven character, Paul says, develops our ability to hope in the most hopeless of times. So that in the midst of upsetting and nearly debilitating circumstances, we always see light at the end of every tunnel. I tell you the truth, brothers and sisters. The ability to perceive light in pitch black darkness the skill of discerning honey in the hardest rock and water in the driest stone. This is an ability that can only be honed on the anvil of despair, heartbreak, and utter defeat. That is the only way you can acquire that sense of hope. There is no other way to lay hold of the strength of hope except to experience the pain the loneliness, the severe drought of a hopeless existence. When your world comes crashing down, when your plans are dashed to pieces and it seems like you're a joke to everyone who sees you, if you will not scale back the audacity of your previous confession, if you will not shrink back from the challenge of facing an uncertain end after you have persevered, after you have proven your character, after you have sustained your hope through many nights of tears and repentance and cries out to your God, then you will find what you were seeking. And your hope, Paul says, will not be disappointed. But contrary to how some might interpret this, God doesn't mean to say here that you will be vindicated. Contrary to how this text may be interpreted, God is not saying that you're going to come out of your struggle on chariots of victory. The bill wasn't paid when you were in the dark and even when you attain that hope, your bill may still not get paid. Even while you're maintaining your hope, the marriage may still go from bad to worse. The intensity of your trouble may even increase. 
and the hope that you receive from God is not the hope that the trouble would simply leave you alone. No, that's not enough. It's not the hope that God would deliver you from the furnaces of your affliction. I'll just say, this is what separates the women from the girls in the kingdom of God. This is what separates the men from the boys in the kingdom of God. This is what separates the citizens of heaven from the warriors of the Lord's host in the kingdom of God. That all the mature believer desires and all the mature believer ever wanted, all the mature believer ever sought after and seeks after during the entire sojourn of their misery is a visitation from the Lord. That's all the mature believer is looking for, just a visitation from the Lord. And as she sits in her broken state, weary, worn, and sad, all she is asking for is what David cried out for. When the walls of his life came closing in upon him, here's what David said in Psalm 42. In the midst of his trouble, in the midst of his persecution, and in the midst of his pain, David cried out and said this. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? I remember these things and pour out my soul within me, for I used to go over with the multitude and walk them to the house of God with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude celebrating a festival. Why are you in despair, my soul? And why are you restless within me? Wait for God, for I will again praise him for the help of his presence, for he is my God. Absalom is chasing his father all around in the desert. His enemies are more than David can even count. And yet when he speaks to God, yet when he opens his heart and shows you what his real desire is, it is not just to survive Absalom. It is not just to see his enemies be scattered. No, David isn't even thinking about it. All David wants is a visitation from God. That's all he's hoping for. David was not hoping for relief from his trouble. David wasn't asking God to recall him from the front lines of the fight, no. All David and all the mature believer desires when trouble finds us and overtakes us, all we desire is a visitation from God Almighty. Because when we see our standard bearer, Jesus Christ, present with us within the storm, when we see Jesus standing calmly and steadily inside the fiery furnace that threatens to consume us, the presence of Jesus Christ invokes within our emotionally drained souls a new sense of vigor and joy and possibility and against all conventional wisdom, we let down our defenses in the middle of the fight 
we become completely unaware of the mirage of total defeat. When we are able to discern and to decipher Jesus at the loudest outpost of our dilemma, then we come to a place of rest. Even as the waves keep crashing, all of the believer's troubles, every one of your troubles, is designed to train you in the art of patience. And by the consistent practice of patience, your character will become proven to God. And our past experiences will cause us to hope for a visitation from Christ. And when that is our hope, our hope will not be disappointed. Because as we wait quietly to see the face of God, Paul says that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And this is the reward for all our troubles. This is the reward for all of our labor, for all of our fears. That through these negative, difficult situations, through these things we experience, the love of God is spread abroad in our hearts in ways that it never had been before. That we come to know the comfort of the Lord in the deepest recesses of our interior selves. That we gain access to the nourishment that is reserved for the champions of heaven, the beaten down and the broken. And in the darkest of nights, the glory of God appears in our lives, we come to a place of true rest. And therefore we celebrate our trouble because we believe and we know that our trouble will yield for us a sweet reward. We thank God in the bad days as well as in the good. Fair weather is good. There's nothing quite as beautiful as a sunshiny day. We all like that. But as are all things in the kingdom of God, the best of God's blessings are hidden in the worst of our experiences. And so we celebrate in tribulation, knowing that God will surely come to us and give us a glimpse of his glory once again. Over 25 years ago, I made a decision. I believe that God was calling me to a certain place and to a certain task. And I left the place where I was employed and I took a job at that place in a very lowly position. And every day I would walk from 41st in Gary, Indiana to 5th Avenue early in the morning, walking around 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning, walking to the train station to come to a job over in Chicago with a job that paid enough money to barely catch the train and not much else. But I believe that God had called me to this. We were suffering, we were struggling. It was difficult times. 
Just last week, Tuesday, I was driving down in Gary, and I came to a store that I used to frequent back in those days. A rundown store, not much in a very bad part of the neighborhood. And I parked my car and I sat there and just looked at that store and remembered. Remember the goodness of God in the darkest days. I sat there and looked at that store and remembered how that even though I had nothing and I was always in a state of despair, the joy that filled my soul, even in those dark days. And my prayer to Almighty God was not, Lord, bring me out of this negative situation. That was not my prayer. My prayer like David was, when will I come to see my God? When will you manifest yourself to me? In poverty, it doesn't matter what you got to send me through. I am willing to go the distance to be with you. And I'll stand in the darkest storm, in the most difficult of days, if I am promised to get even a glimpse of your glory. These are the warriors in the kingdom of God. Not constantly throwing pity parties and worrying about what's going to happen next and my life is so bad. I have no time. I have no space to worry about such things. When trouble found me, I was on a march to find my God and I will not be deterred. Come what may, I will not be deterred. I'm not going to stop praying because the roof is leaking. No, I'm not. I'm not going to stop seeking the face of God because I can't pay my bills. No, I'm not. I am on a mission, and my only desire in this world is to see my God face to face. And my tribulation works within me a sense of perseverance. Ah. My perseverance proves my character to my God. I can trust Calvin. I know that no matter what darts you throw at him, Calvin's not going to move. I know he's going to stand the ground. He's not going to give up one inch, one iota of my word for any reason. I know I can trust him. I can entrust to him. Huh. Depression comes, anxiety comes, fear comes, death comes into the family. It doesn't matter. I will stand on the rock. <laughs> That's what Paul is saying. That if you're willing to go through humbly and be patient and not complain and not worry, once your character is proven, you will receive a new sense of hope that you never experienced before. And no matter what happens, you always believe that anything is possible. <laughs> you don't get that just by reading the book. You get that by living the life. That's what separates religion from true relationship with God. You get this by living the life. By not backing down, even when you look like a fool, even when you're standing by yourself, even when they come and tell you, look, Calvin, you're in such a bad situation. Man, curse your God and die. You're a fool. I would rather die calling on his name than live without him.
This is commitment. This is commitment. <laughs> I hope you got it. I hope you can sense it in yourself. Because difficult days are coming. Where the wheat is going to be separated from the chaff. God is looking for warriors in his kingdom and he's looking for them today, not tomorrow, today. Paul the apostle says, no soldier goes into war on his own accord. We've been called to the battlefield, not for ourselves. Not so that we can have lives of convenience. We have been called to the battlefield to represent the one who died for us. We have been called to the battlefield to be willing to die on his behalf. If you can't pray just because your bill's not paid, I know you're not ready to die. If you can't pray just because your marriage is messing up, I know you're not ready to die. <laughs> Be patient in your tribulation. Learn the lessons that God has designed for you to learn. And I pray that God will strengthen you that you can endure whatever trouble you're going through and that you will experience the sweet comfort of his presence even in the midst of your struggle. Let's pray. Father God, all of us in this room have testimonies. Testimonies of the great and wonderful things you've done for us. Testimonies of the miraculous ways that you have brought us. And as we look back over our lives and we see where you've brought us from, as we look back over our lives and retrace the journey, we can see your footprints in the sand that you have always been with us. But even right now today, there are those of us who are going through dark times, dark times in our health, our marriage, our families, on the job, difficulties, complicated situations and scenarios that it seems like there is no way out. My prayer for us today, Father God, is that we would take our eyes off of the exits. That we would stop looking for a way out of our troubles, but that we would invite you into our troubles. Because in your presence, Lord God, there is a fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Draw us closer to you through every one of our difficulties, every one of our challenges. Cause us to come out of the fiery furnace as pure gold for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>